The MX Vice Show. Welcome everybody to episode 152 of the MX Vice Show. We have another action-packed show ready for today. This episode, we're joined by former Aussie motocross star and now commentator, trainer, and so much more in Lee Hogan. But before we welcome Lee, we'd like to thank Parts Europe and Whole Shop Motorhomes for sponsoring part one of this. All right, Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport tagline is fortified through the Thor and Moose house brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Landron, Prado, Langenfelder, Guadagnini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champ and Thor ambassador Tony Cairoli. Your parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross enduro bike. Necken, Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renthal, Recluse, and many more are in stock and ready to be shipped. Check out their website at partsyourup.eu or contact your local Parts Europe dealer. With a dealer network of over 10,000 shops, we're sure there is one close to you. Also, big shout out to Whole Shop Motorhomes for jumping on board to sponsor our upcoming podcast. Whole Shop Motorhomes is a UK specialist motorhome dealer for motorsport transport. They specialise in garage motorhomes and race vans that are suitable for a wide variety of sports, such as motocross, enduro, karting, mountain biking and more. They know that one of the ingredients for a great race weekend is having good transport that's easy to load, keeps your bike secure, is practical in the paddock and is safe and secure during the weekend and of course it needs to be comfortable to make sure you're on the money when it comes to race time check out the commander motorhome that's sure to fit your needs check them out online we also have an article on our website and a youtube video so read all about them and check them out all right lee thanks again for taking the time mate and welcome how's life life is good mate life is good thank you for having me on no, mate, it's definitely a guest we wanted to get on for a while. So, yeah, cheers for fitting us in because you're a very busy man, obviously. I guess firstly, start off with Melbourne on the weekend, mate, to wrap up the Aussie series. Obviously, the World Supercross tacked in on that, mate. So many storylines, so many highlights. Really another great, exciting round of action to finish the Aussie series. Dean Wilson getting the first title in 12 years, just loving life in Australia, having a little bit of a renaissance and Anstey going back to back in the Aussies, then winning World Supercross UK audience, obviously, on MX Vice. Very happy with that, so... Pretty awesome men to the series, mate. It's sort of, you can tell how much it means to these riders winning this Aussie championship. The team have done a great job organising it. You in the booth have done awesome with Danny. So just how's it all been for you, mate? Been a massive season. I guess you can have a little bit of downtime from the commentary till next year anyway. Yeah, look, Melbourne was um, such an amazing vibe. It was uh, it was so cool. And obviously the stadium there, anyone that's been to Marvel Stadium knows that, you know, as far as Australia goes, that's um, that's the the uh, epicenter of, of Supercross. And you you just stand down on the floor and you look up and once the fans start coming in and the atmosphere builds, it's just, uh, it's so good. But yeah, for Hammy and myself, we were, we were broadcast on Friday night doing TV stuff. And then Saturday for World Supercross with such a, a huge crowd, we're on the floor doing commentary. So um, getting to wear both caps over, over both nights was su- such an honour and getting to call in front of that crowd. The racing was great. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of the winners there. Obviously, Dino doing uh, such a good job wrapping up the 
national championship here. But yeah, Max Anstey getting the first ever world supercross for as a UK rider, and um, yeah, Roxon amazing back to back championships. So it was uh, it was a pretty cool time. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Obviously, a sense of pride for the Aussies having a few of the wildcard guys in the World Supercross, which was really cool. Guys like Crawford, Barham, and Wilsey had that nice little battle with Freesey there. And I guess back to the Friday, how good was it just seeing Luke Clout get that win? Obviously, had a massive couple of years of injuries and just so much adversity. So cool to see those Aussies, you know, firstly, Clout doing well in both, and then the others just sort of putting themselves in the shop window for next year. And, you know, you never know when the rides are around the corner, and even Bud as well doing well in the 450 class at WSX. Must have been pretty awesome for you, mate, sort of witnessing it live as well. Yeah, Luke Clout was a special one for sure. He was um, understandably quite emotional on Friday after his win, and and that was that was really good to see. And the broadcast crew did a did a great job with the camera work to capture what was going on there. But I honestly think on Saturday night the biggest cheer from the crowd was when Luke Clout came out and just smashed it in the qualifying heat, and we were Aussies one two with Crawford there in second place, and it was almost like the crowd were that in tune with what was going on. They didn't even need Hammy and myself to, you know, explain what was happening. They were, you know, before we could even react and the crowd on the other side of the track would see a pass being made or when Crawford moved up into second, they were just, uh, they were, they were glued to the track. It was, um, it was quite intense. One of the best crowds I've ever seen. Yeah, mate, it's certainly the bar's been raised for, you know, next year's series. Obviously the guys, Mick and the team are doing an awesome job running it and, I guess which round was your highlight, mate? Obviously, Adelaide, you know, divided opinions in the indoor track. They're really tight, you know, basketball stadium, essentially. The Newcastle was kind of the showpiece of the series. That went down really well. Obviously, the track bit a few people, but that was outside of their hands. And then Melbourne is sort of the WSX doubleheader, mate. So what were some of the, your highlights of the actual series and just the race tracks you enjoyed and the little insights that you sort of got from each one being there? Uh, look, I'm a little biased being a Melbourne boy, um, but I think even if you're not a Melbourne boy, if you were there on hand and you got to witness Melbourne, um, the track crew did just such an amazing job with the design and the build and the dirt, the quality of the dirt that was used at Melbourne. There was just everything going for it. Um, the size of the track as well, you know, um, and then like I've already mentioned, the atmosphere with the crowd. So Melbourne and for me, being able to sleep in my own bed, hop, hop in my truck and just drive to the race like 35 minutes, park the car and come in. Uh, Melbourne was seriously one of my favourite weekends of the whole year. Um, I, I've got to say I got a bit of a soft spot for Newcastle. I, lo- I love it up there in Newy. I've got some good friends up there. Um, and the venue at Newcastle, McDonald Jones Stadium, was really good. And we had a had an awesome crowd there. Uh, the track went off just a little bit up at Newy. It, it was some of the most hard-packed clay that I think I've seen since back in our day of racing in the 90s. I was chatting with with Chad and Hammy and a few of the other boys that that was business as usual for us in the 90s yeah. when we went and did Parramatta Supercross. There would be bits of your tyre left on the stadium floor, you know, like it's uh, – uh, um, that, that was – that was almost grippy at Newcastle compared to what we had to deal with the Parramatta and Newcastle Supercrosses. So, uh, but but riders these days um, they they tend to not have to deal with that kind of slipperiness. And when the track gets you know quite that hard packed and uh, and and little to minimum traction. So aside from that, the design of the track was was really good. Big set of whoops, uh, and I think the crowd got a really good show there at Newcastle. So overall, they were my two highlights i mean i think that the indoor supercross in adelaide it has its its positives and indoor you don't as a promoter you don't have to worry about getting rained out and dealing with the the possibility of of cancelling an event 
Um, but I think you're always going to be, uh, you know, constricted a little bit with track design and you're never going to keep people happy. They've got, um, you know, they've got a, a, a big list, a set of requirements that's going to keep them happy these days. And if you go to an indoor, you're going to cop a little bit of flack sometimes. Yeah. But I honestly think if you were there in the stands and you were watching, they actually got a really good show at Adelaide. Um, you know, so overall, as a three-round series, we kind of had a bit of everything. And, yeah, I mean, looking forward to next year going to, I believe, four rounds and, mm. and possibly up into into Queensland at a very good venue up there. But, you know, for, for me, that's a, a child of the, of the 90s back when we had sort of 10-round Supercross series. Um, I, I just sort of, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the day that we just keep expanding and getting more and more rounds in there with the Supercross Championship. Um, and, you know, who, who knows what it will get to one day, but it's in a, it's in a serious growth spurt at the moment. And, you know, with the likes of, you know, Kelly Bailey, uh, obviously a, alongside um, Adam, who's running World Supercross, but Kelly being uh, being the, the, the big boss of our Supercross here in Australia, she's just such a good businesswoman and does just such a fantastic job with what she's doing. And she's got a crew very, very close to her that look up to her and basically would do anything. So um, that tight-knit team that they have are, are going to be doing some good things, that's for sure. Our sport's in good hands there. Uh, so I look forward to seeing what they're coming up with. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So many positives. Obviously, like you said, a lot of scope for growth as well. Obviously, it would be good to see some more rounds. But when you look back on it, yeah, like you said, that Queensland one would be really good to get in there because it is very much a hotbed of motocross up there. So, yeah, anything to get that. And he also mentioned Newcastle might not be coming back next year, which would be a bit of a loss. But he said there was nothing confirmed with that. So we'll just wait and see how that all plays out. But yeah, like you said, the privateer package they've sort of brought on as well, not just with the prize money through MX Store, but also through the videos and photo packages they've been delivering for those guys and, you know, mixing things up with the formats. The entry lists have been massive. And also your take on Chad Reed, the 85cc cup, that's just got so much buzz around it. It's kind of what the kids need, isn't it, mate? And Chad's obviously happy to put his name behind that one. Not so much the SX3 because he believes they should be racing against men, doesn't he? But for the juniors, it's just priceless and invaluable, the experience (laughs) they can get racing at that age isn't it mate so just your take on a couple of those as well yeah look the chad reed 2285 cc cup for sure it's a passionate one for chad at the moment because him as a junior coming through and i remember hammy as well you know when when we were racing the 250s and we, we watched the 85s on the line with that little suzuki triple one there with the hand bone chad was exactly the same and he, he remembers what it was like to be a kid there and and quite often back in our day um, there were always these really cool races, go race Supercross if you're on an 85. And so I think for him, he just wanted to reinvigorate that and, and, and bring it back to life and do it in a big way. But it's a personal thing for him, as we know, because his, his oldest, you know, Tate is, is right there in the mix and going through his apprenticeship, so to speak, with learning how to ride Supercross. So um, it's, I guess, you know, Chad's got his, his uh, moto dad hat on and, and enjoying that journey that he's going through at the moment with Tate. And I'm sure he's he's dealing with stresses and anxieties as that role, as, as a dad that he probably never had to go through as a racer in all of his years. So, um, but, but for him, all the marketing behind it, being able to use his name and his number 22 to help raise the profile of that class was so fantastic this year. It did, did such a good job to elevate, you know, the promotion of not only that class, but 
our sport as well as all the venues and the events that we were going to. So, you know, that was a big win for us. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of those young kids. I, I, you know, there's Lockie Allen, who's one of our best riders in Australia. He's, he's an absolute little superstar. Jack Nunn, uh, you know, there's so many, so many guns. Cooper Ford, um, these little kids that, um, that are names that we're going to hear for, for many, many years. Um, it's great to see them circulating around and see the horns come out in their helmet when main event time comes around. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's so good, and we and we get to we get to call the action from from the best seat in the house. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's definitely laying the foundations for more growth for the sport, obviously, especially in Australia, but obviously in the UK, Max Anstey and Dean Wilson doing their thing. So that's pretty cool. In two countries that Supercross could definitely need a lift in, and obviously Australia is a little bit different. It's probably more hardcore than in the UK but it's definitely cool for the future and yeah just sort of creating those pathways and getting them a chance to race against their heroes and talking to Mick I think the kids are a bit sad they didn't get like what you said the six eight ten rounds you know series because they just wanted to keep racing and they're building supercross tracks in their backyards and you know it's just really good for everything isn't it mate so I guess as a catalyst for this I guess you expect to see some really good talents coming through in the next five to ten years don't you? Yeah, very true. And, and you know what I really liked as well is the media that was attached to it. I mean, it was enormous, the media for Tate Reid at, uh, <laughs> at Newcastle Supercross. But not just that. Look, at the final round, they, you know, they had 85s in there. They, I remember they had Jack Nunn in there at a couple of them where, uh, you know, sometimes the 85s and these little cool kids were getting almost just as much if not more media than the seniors you know and can you imagine being one of these little kids and you're you're going to school on monday you're bringing some show and tell in or whatever you're bringing a you're bringing a trophy and to just go hey and they're just like well hang on I, I actually saw you on tv or i saw you on the today show or whatever you know the heck it may be like that's every kid's dream to be able to do that and you almost it, it's kind of like a pinch yourself moment really um, and that's got so much to do with the promotion that was behind the Chad Reed CR2285 CC Cup. So, um, you know, that, what a platform to get started from. And once again, like I said earlier on with, uh, you know, the, the Jet Lawrence and Hunter Lawrence, and we were having a bit of a chat, we were talking about how seeing those boys on your TV in America is inspiring Aussies to want to get to that level. I guarantee you there's little kids on 65s out there at the moment or even little auto 50s that are looking at these superstars on the 85s and all the tv time that they got and all the promotion that they're getting for their sponsors and their name i guarantee there's kids out there just that's it let's go dad build me a track what are we doing let's let's get amongst it oh mate they've got some great benchmarks and sort of carrots to chase especially now and you know just when racing it you know it's just they need that experience racing because, you know, you can train all you like, but just racing is just so key, like you said, mate. But another couple of products that the series has done really well and is obviously the Bench Racer series that you've been a massive part of, mate. So how's that been for you? And you get an interview so many heavy hitters. Obviously, you know them so well. And just having the series released, you know, in a free-to-air Australian TV on Channel 7 Plus and obviously on YouTube so the whole world can see it. How's it been for you, mate? And it's another great sort of avenue to get people interested and it's so accessible people can watch it in sort of you know 20 30 minute blocks and watch it on their tv watch it on their phone watch it everywhere mate how was it for you and how's the feedback been on it oh it's awesome it's great it, it was like a last minute thing i think adam bailey called me like about three days out from adelaide supercross and he's like oh hey man uh would you mind uh, filling in and just doing a couple of these bench racer documentaries for us at adelaide and i'm like yeah no worries and and next thing we're we're kind of rolling through each round and i think they kind of gained 
momentum and and starting off with that you know the matt moss one that uh that just went viral it went crazy and that that was like like for me matt and i uh, over the years there's been times where we didn't see eye to eye but uh uh you know we we made peace end of last year's supercross and um you know we've been getting along really well and and prior to that interview i i called him on the phone and had a good chat and just said look i'm I'm not going to spring any any uh, you know unwanted questions on you. I want you, I want you to know exactly not only what I'm asking you, but I want you yeah. to know exactly the wording that I'm going to use. And we spoke for about an hour and a half, and I think that's a bit of the reason what you know why everything just went so smooth with the interview. He just felt super comfortable, and to me, that was one of the most rewarding interviews I've ever done. You know, like it, uh, he was just so natural. He bumped up about five levels you know, with respect, you know, to, to me fr- from that interview, I was just like, uh, you know, it was, it was very cool. So, so, uh, and it, to get to do that, to get to do the Chad one, I mean, I guess Hammy and I've kind of alternated. I just said, Hammy, can you, can you give me a hand with these here? Can we go half halves? And that's what we did, you know? Um, uh, and, and Danny's so great at, at, uh, at this type of stuff as well. So to get to sit down with them, um, you know, there's, there's quite a few, quite a few cool ones that sort of spring to, to memory that had a bit of, you know, quite a bit of emotion uh, to them. You know, the Matt Moss one also Brad McAlpine that hasn't aired yet. That was, uh, that was a, a, a really cool one. I had a lot of, had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, Sam Hill, one of my good mates, but I've only been mates with him for a couple of years and I just didn't know his full background. I obviously knew he's, you know, multi, multi-time world champion. He was just a superstar, but it was actually the lead up. I was at uh, my boys BMX national championships in Shepparton. That's over a whole week. And I'm sitting in this dingy motel on the phone to, to Sam and his Mrs. Bridget doing all this research and got a pen and paper that the receptionist at the motel lent me. And I'm just taking down all these <laughs> notes and I'm like, what? Sam Palooza, that party. Wow. That's uh I wish I had been there. That sounds really cool. So, like in a, in about an hour and a half phone conversation, I managed to, uh, you know, learn so much about you know someone who's a good mate of mine now, but I just didn't know the know the history. So I'm very thankful to get the opportunity from from uh, you know the the Oz Supercross crew to be able to host some of these and uh, yeah, you know, to try to delve in and 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 get the cool stories out of uh, out of these people. Yeah, mate, it's absolutely cool. Obviously, hopefully we get to see more of it next year and they sort of build on the momentum from this year. And obviously wanted to touch on your sort of work getting into commentary and doing all these media things. It's been a great transition since you retired, mate. You've done it really well seamlessly. And I'm sure there's been a lot of sort of self-doubt and sort of key challenges along the road, but you've done a great job making a niche and, you know, carving a career on that side of the fence, I guess you could say. So following in the footsteps of the likes of Emig, Paul Malin, Langston, all these excellent riders that have gone into the booth afterwards. So you and Danny are just doing that so well and you sort of mix it up with doing track walks, interviews and the commentary, no matter if you do a motocross or supercross. So I guess, where did you gain the skills? Because you write, you edit, you, you know, obviously you do your training, you were a racer, you do speaking to teach the kids from the TV work, mates. You know, do you feel the pressure and weight of expectation or is it just come pretty naturally now i guess in the early days it was pretty challenging but you've done a great job building that niche yeah look i think for me my last 10 years of race and motocross and supercross i was always running motocross schools um so i always had a game plan of when i finished i wanted to do motocross schools and commentary and they kind of feed off each other a little bit so i think the motocross schools and getting up and talking all the time 
sort of helps with the commentary. And it was my last two years of racing, I did a Supercross only contract and Kevin Williams had me doing uh, the commentary, the TV hosting and, and some of the venue commentary for the outdoor motocross series while I was still racing Supercross. And so once I retired at the end of 2003, I was just like, I just want to get away from this sport just for 12 months. So I went and a good friend of mine, Brendo, had a bunch of machines, excavators, bobcats. I just hopped in machines for 12 months and and uh, just went, right, I've got to get away from it for a bit. But I think after about six months, I thought, okay, that's enough of real work. I actually want to get back to what, what can I do here in the sport that I did uh, 20 apprentice, uh, apprenticeships in that's going to, uh, you know, start getting me in the right direction. So I immediately started with writing schools and and uh, and commentary and TV hosting. It started straight off the bat with uh, uh, with Supercross Nationals. So uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, we had lot, we were live on Foxtel and a big massive series and uh, going all around the countryside. And yeah, it was uh, it was really quite cool. So. You know, for, for me, it was just, um, I guess, the opportunity to be able to tie in those two with my, my riding school, starting BCP and, and doing commentary. And that that sort of had me for years and years and years until fi- 2015, um, I started the factory Honda Junior Motocross team. I got offered to be able to take that on board. And, and uh, among, amongst those those three things there, I guess, is the bulk of, bulk of the business now. So... Yeah, it keeps me busy. Yeah, mate, absolutely. And just to keep going on the theme of the commentary, obviously speaking to Jeff Emig a couple of months ago, he was sort of of the opinion, you know, don't be afraid to fail because you have to take the risk just to challenge yourself to see if you like it or not and don't let sort of fear dictate you from grabbing the opportunity. And I guess you look, you know, so many years later, you're still doing it and you've, you know, overcome all those challenges. And, yeah, massive respect for doing what you do because it's not easy to, you know, be listened to by thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of people getting out of your comfort zone and sort of having convictions in your opinions and making snappy decisions, calls and calculations on the fly on live television, mate. So you sort of look at it that way, having that element of bravery in what you're doing. And, you know, I'm sure there's hours and hours of prep that goes into it that people don't see. So I guess you look back and you're probably pretty proud of all you've achieved on that, even though there's still so much more to go. Yeah, uh, look, I, I honestly think that um, essentially I'm sort of just a, a, a expert comments commentator, kind of very similar to Hammy and what we do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a proper host like a, a Greg Rust or a Lee Diffie or a Ralph Shaheen or someone like that. Um, so Hammy and I are both sort of being the same there. I've kind of just had to sort of learn the trade over the years of, of being able to host, so, you know, welcoming uh, you know, people are throwing to a break or wrapping up a show or whatever it may be, um, is is definitely something that you gotta you gotta gotta practice and, and work at. The commentary side of things for Hammy and I, once we get into you know, a bit of rhythm and we're calling the race, that's like that that's fun. That's not work at all. That's a we're just talking about the sport we love and the people that we're passionate about from the best seat in the house and enjoying what we're doing and the banter that we have We'd probably have that pretty much the same, even if we weren't commentating or on TV or whatever. We just, we just love it. But, um, but yeah, the hosting side of things and and the preparation to, you know, writing a, an opening piece and there's certain things that you can't muck up. Like we can stuff up 
in commentary. But when you're doing a hosting piece or you're doing a, a tourism piece where you're talking about a place and you're on live TV and it's going straight to people in their lounge rooms and you just can't muck it up and the pressure's real. You can you can uh, you can cut the air with a butter knife in there during those periods. But um, I I don't know. I I, I absolutely love it. Um, the pressure of live TV uh, is is real. There's no doubt about that for sure. And Hammy and I have a few anxious uh, moments in the booth, but overall, it's just such a such an awesome experience. And for you to hear those kind of comments from the likes of Jeff Hemming, who's been doing it for so many years. And, you know, that everyone's got their own set of skills. Uh, you listen to them and everyone's got their own strong points. I think at the end of the day, all you can really do is try to, um, you know, give people what you think is the best info that's going to make their experience, whether they're watching it live or they're watching it in their lounge rooms. You don't want to have people just going, oh, I want to put, the you know the volume on mute because I just can't stand <laughs> listening to that dude. So I think you just got to you know you got to give the right information out, and um, you know I I think you can't be too much of a fence sitter as well. I think there's mm. there's nothing worse than listening to someone that won't back themselves in with any conviction, uh, because I think you kind of got to be true to yourself and what your opinion is, and it's not going to keep everyone happy. But I think if you're trying to listen to uh, listen to commentary that, that you know they, they want to hear some real some real commentary I, I think and uh, yeah hopefully hopefully we we deliver that because I know a lot of our favorite commentators that we listen to do a great job at that as well so yeah it's a good balance you have between so obviously you have to be professional at certain moments but there also is the entertainment factor of you know people watching broadcasts they want to have they want to see you guys laugh and having robust discussions as well so I think the balance is really good with you and Danny mate for sure and I guess I'll give you a chance to speak about the Factory Honda Juniors program. I'd love to hear more about it and so would the fans. And just it's pretty cool you're helping develop a lot of these stars of tomorrow. So I guess tell us about the program, your role in it, the support from Honda, how it's all going. And it all looks really professional from the outside, mate, from everything from the website to the schools and the communication and obviously your experience, writing skills and stuff. The kids must enjoy learning from you, mate. It must be kind of cool to pass on the knowledge that you've gained over the years. And I guess they're probably at the level where they're elite, but I guess you're still probably instilling the fundamentals and just making sure they're writing in a safe manner and, you know, teaching them the right techniques. And you're probably sort of passing to teach them how to deal with things like the media and just to sort of keep track of your emotions as you sort of get more developed and professionally the sport so it must be pretty challenging sort of job in a lot of ways mate because you obviously got to deal with the parents as well as the kids and that's sort of another package in itself so just (laughs) tell us about the whole program mate and how it's been for you yeah look there's so much involved in in running the junior team and and doing it properly uh there's certain things where you kind of let them uh do their own thing and and make their own mistakes and learn their own lessons along the way but then there's other things that you've kind of got to guide them you know social media is a really important one that you know, when you're a when you're a kid, uh, you kind of you can you can be a little bit over emotional on social media, and there's certain things that go up that you quite regularly see, and you kind of rather than rather than be too critical on them or or or, or, or you know tell them not to do it, you kind of need to explain to them why. You know, like it's a there's a whole. <laughs> but you basically need to do a degree in social media to learn the right and wrong ways to do it, and then you got to understand that. You know, all of our big, big bosses, whether it's whether it's from from Honda or Fox or Michelin or whoever it may be, um, a, a lot of them that they see absolutely everything that goes up, and a lot of the time they, they won't even go under their own names. You know, they just it's their job to make sure that everything 
is going up the right way. So for me, a lot of the time I need to just sit back and make sure I've got my finger on the pulse with everything to make sure that, uh, you know, nothing's going up that shouldn't be going up and that we're representing ourselves the right way. But at the end of the day, and I guess it's the same with any form of junior sport, whether it's footy, motocross, whatever it may be, um, you, you're trying to build a well-rounded, respectful young athlete that that learns all those, you know, hard lessons along the way and benefits from them and, and takes steps forward. Um, you know, for, for us, since day one, I've always tried to have at least one girl on our team. So we have that, that female presence on the team and support them to the hilt. You know, I think that's super important. And, you know, in recent years, we've seen, you know, all, all kinds of teams sort of uh, grab that by the helm and start to do the same thing as well. So I'm, I'm really proud that we were kind of uh, at the at the forefront of that you know, way, way, way back. We're talking sort of seven, eight, eight years ago. Um, and, and since then, there hasn't been a year that we haven't had a girl on our factory Honda Junior team. You know, we've had the likes of Tanisha Harnett, uh, you know, Maddie Healy, um, you know, Darcy Wally recently. And we've got a, a new superstar with Leah Rimbas for next year. Um, you know, the, the, the likes of those girls coming through that have all done multiple years with us it's just uh it's so good to see them go on and do bigger and better things but to have them through the system at the time and to always have you know that female element in our junior team has just been something that i've been super proud of but um yeah look currently at the moment we've got a, a young little superstar on our hands seth shackleton who just won the national championships last year and he uh, uh i must say that in, with pro mx the mx3 class with juniors being able to race against the seniors, being you, we've got 14, 15 year old juniors being able to race against 16, 17 year old seniors. That's been one of the biggest, uh, you know, steps forward in my opinion. I wasn't a huge fan of the MXD or under 19s class where it was just 16, 17, 18 year old kids racing against each other. I thought that that was a big dampener on the sport and really restricting our young superstars. And unfortunately for Regan Duffy, he was part of that. I would have loved to have just seen him just go straight to MX2 up to MX1. But, uh, you know, I think this MX3 allowing the juniors to race against that has really shifted the focus so that the national junior motocross championships are no longer the main priority for our juniors here in Australia. Pro MX and that MX3 class, the TV time that you're getting, um, you know, you're, you're highlighting yourself against uh, you know, some of the biggest stars in the country in front of the biggest teams and team managers in the country right there in front of you, you know, to see what Jake Cannon done this year in MX3 as a junior and, and the future that he's got, uh, you know, is just incredible. And that's got so much to do with this MX3 class. So, you know, um, some of the results that Seth had this year um, as a 14-year-old as a junior, he's still got another year of juniors next year. So it's a, it's not every year that, as Honda, we get to have that marquee junior rider coming through uh, because we just purely don't have, uh, you know, the accessible bikes that some of the other brands have with the 50s, the 65s, the 85s. You know, we, uh, you know, we, we've essentially got that big, that, that awesome 250 and, uh, you know, in juniors, we've got to make the most with that. And quite often I have to go and poach a rider from another another manufacturer to get myself a superstar. But to be able to get Seth on a multi-year deal to come across who just 
you know, saw how good our bikes were. We flew him over from WA, popped him on uh, Matty Healy's race bike and watched him ride around and he just fell in love with it fr- from day dot and did a multi-year deal with him and um, so good to have him on board and, and giving him the best opportunity to to make his mark and, and hopefully chase off after some of those names doing big things globally at the moment on a Honda. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's so cool what you're doing there and it's a great pathway and a framework for the kids to develop. And yeah, that racing, the SX3, MX3 classes, they're really stacked with talent. But I guess from working with all these kids, what are you seeing as their goals, mate? Do you feel that they're going towards Supercross? That's like the big goal. Obviously, you see a few guys want to do the MXGP and, you know, probably less and less with the Supercross side of thing with the money, I guess, and just the racing. And I suppose the age rule might deter a few kids being 23 and then they have to step up to MXGP from MX2. So what's your sort of take from working with all these really talented youngsters? What are they sort of looking towards in the future? Yeah, look, I mean, I think everyone everyone wants to be a well-rounded rider and be able to ride all the elements, you know, whether that be, you know, outdoor motocross, you know, you're great in you know, hard packed dirt and nice loamy stuff, but you're also good when it gets really, really deep sand. If you want to be one of the best, you can't afford to be good at two out of the three, but oh, I'm not that great mm. in the sand. You need, you need to be able to, you know, work on your craft and be able to ride everything. And the same thing goes for Supercross. I mean, you might find a handful of riders around there that have done exceptionally well and made their mark uh, and, and can't, ride supercross for example but they're great at, at outdoor motocross i don't think you'll have too many that are amazing at supercross but they just don't have any skills on a motocross track uh, i'll come back to if you if you're good on a motorbike and you want to be one of the best you need to be able to ride both of those elements of the sport supercross and motocross and you need to be able to adapt to whatever the conditions are that being said i think there are some juniors that will come through that will have their their sights firmly set on either the GPs of Europe or they want to go to America. If you want to go to America, you've got no choice but to be able to race both supercross and motocross at that top level. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good point you make there. And do you find the kids that you train, who are there obviously being Australian? I'm sure they're all about the Lawrence brothers. There's massive idols for them. But do you see the kids, obviously, they're into Deegan. Do they like Shimoda being the Honda now as well? Hymas, obviously, they will probably look back at Ricky, James, Chad might be a bit young for that. But I'm sure they're pretty big on Ken Rocks and Eli Tomac, Chase Sexton these days too. Yeah, look, all the big names that you've mentioned. And look, while the Lawrences have just such a massive, massive fan base here in Australia, I think you'd be surprised to know that everyone has their own favourites and it's not always, you know, going to be one of the Lawrences. Um, I I think you'll be hard stretched to find too many Aussies that aren't fans or don't put up the Lawrences on a pedestal. But, you know, every now and then you'll be cruising around, you know, and I get to see it on my social medias. Well, you know, I get to to follow a lot of the, you know, a lot of the motocross riders, even in the BMX paddocks. A a lot of um, my boy Noah's, friends who are right into their bmx they're huge moto fans as well and quite often i'll just see something random where um there'll be one particular rider who's just a huge sexton fan and just and that every single time a sexton post comes up they'll just be sharing it on their insta stories or whatever and then of course you know deegan i think um i, I think you know the show the youtube show the deegans that have come up all the time i think you know, Hayden's got a, a huge fan base because I, I personally think that, you know, once again, my boy, he's always got the Deegans up on TV. You know, I find myself watching it. And um, and I think whether you love or you hate Hayden, 
I honestly think that if you watched a few of those shows, you can see that he's not fake. He's real. You know what what you get uh, is is what you get. You know, and and, um, and I think he's a pretty likable kind of guy. So there's a, a huge fan base for Hayden Deegan out there as well. So I think it's a, a good time in our sport where we've got some cool personalities. If you look between Deegan and Jet Lawrence, aside from the fact that they're two of the most talented riders on the planet, they've actually got completely different but some really cool personalities to go along with it and you know there was a time in our sport where i think particularly over in america not so much in australia but you'd get a lot of riders that would get up on the podium and they'd just say this scripted thank you piece that you know genuinely sort of included a bunch of sponsors um quite possibly the good lord and uh, it was a it was a generic you know thank you uh, you know, not saying there's anything wrong with the good Lord, um, but uh, it was generally a, a generic scripted, no personality type of a speech that, uh, you know, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a different era at the moment, which is quite cool. Yeah, it's sort of refreshingly honest, you know, brutally honest in a lot of cases. And yeah, that's what drags the fans in, like you're saying with the Deegans, the amount of non-moto people that are now moto people just be massive just through them and what they're doing with the new yes. channel. So absolutely, mate, that's a great point you make. And I wanted to also get your take on a lot of the training programs that are in Australia at the moment. Obviously, you've got Beaton's Pro Formula, Zero Zero Elite, Ford Dale. And it's sort of, you know, following those sort of frameworks like the Baker's Factory Star Racing, these kind of things in America. What's your thoughts on all that? It's probably a pretty good environment for sort of breeding competitive beasts and sort of being quite brutal and I guess everyone's sort of suffering and sacrificing together in that way and makes them I guess really sort of switch on and focus on what they you know they're willing to do the work they can get the outcomes and just sort of gives you that next level of commitment you need to be sort of all in there's no sort of half in in those programs and I guess they challenge the riders mentally too because you can't be the best every day can you so you're always going to have days where you're off and i guess it's sort of for some people and not for some people you heard levi kitchen recently saying it wasn't really the favorite place for him at star racing there so he's obviously on the pro circuit now i think he's a lot happier with a program that he's sort of been allowed to formulate himself so what's your thoughts on it all mate obviously great sort of streamlined process for success and we obviously take stock of that sort of thing and maybe try and implement some of the sort of teachings and you know happenings that are going on there too yeah look i, I think the interesting point is that all athletes are different and, um, you know, like I go back to, you know, with myself, Shane Boyd, Chad Reed, Daryl Hurley, we're all teammates on CDR Yamaha. And, uh, you know, I remember there was a period there where I only really wanted to ride, you know, two sort of maximum three times a week was perfect for me, kept me hungry. And I did a lot of sort of off bike training and cycling and stuff where I remember Chad would just be getting up and water in his track for, you know, in the morning uh, first thing before the sun even come up so that he could go punch out 40 litres of fuel through his bike every day, right? And if he, if he wasn't riding every day, he wasn't at his best. If I tried to ride the amount that Chad rode, then, you know, I would get to the race on the weekend and just be like, <laughs> get this bike away from me. I don't even want to ride. Whereas his his love for, for riding every single day was just... Uh, just crazy you know and no one else was quite at that level and i think i guess the point i'm trying to make is that yeah we were two polar opposites there but every single ride is different in what they need and i think when you look at some of these you know alden baker type programs it's going to suit certain riders you know and i think ricky at his prime uh you know that was something that worked really really well for him almost like a militant style training program and then there were others if you tried to put jeremy mcgrath in there program like that that uh 
didn't allow him to do his own thing, it wouldn't have worked. So I don't think there's any set thing that works amazingly well for everyone. I think you need to find out, you know, what works well for you and that balance between on-the-bike skills training. So you're you're forever trying to refine whatever your weakest link is and you're constantly – it doesn't matter who you are. You're always going to have your strengths. It might be starts and ruts, but your whoops, your supercross whoops are your weakest link. If you're forever trying to work on what your weakest link is and turn it into a positive, then you eventually will get to the stage of where you don't really have a weak link. You just have a bunch of positives. So if you're just constantly working on your skill set, you've got enough fitness space. And I don't necessarily mean you might be able to go and do two hours on a on a bicycle climbing mountains with your heart rate at, on your anaerobic threshold, but you go and hop on a motocross or a supercross bike and you're blowing out candles within two laps. So, you know, it's way more important that, yeah, you need a fitness space off the bike as well, but it's more important that you can last at 110% until the checkered flag comes out. So, so long as you're ticking all of those boxes, um, you know, and you're finding a way to um, to not overtrain too much where injuries start to come on and you're forever asking yourself, you know, why why am I sick every six weeks? I've got a cold where you're doing too much, you know. Like you need to have someone, not yourself, but someone outside of yourself that's keeping an eye on the overall picture that can quite often see when you're getting things out of balance, when you're, you know, and a lot of the time as motocross, supercross athletes, there's a bit of OCD going on. There's a bit of, you know, uh, everything needs to be a certain way. And when you're in, you're all in. And quite often it's difficult to see when you're going too hard, when you're, when you're putting too much in. So to have someone that you trust to be able to, uh, you know, keep, keep an eye and a finger on the pulse and, and just keep an eye on the overall pitch is really important. But, yeah, getting back to, to what I was saying, there's no simple recipe, I believe. Um, there's not a there's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to training programs. It's great that we've got so many different companies out there that are putting these things together. But I think one of the biggest secrets for the likes of a, you know, a, um, you know, a Ross Beaton or a Nathan Crawford, you know, running their own programs like this is, is is to be able to be flexible enough to no matter how many people you have in your program at one time to be able to marginally change for each athlete and not just have one generic copy and paste this is what we're doing let's go because everyone has different needs from a physical attribute for example you might have a a 17 year old kid that's already weighing in at 84 kilo uh, you know, and, and needs to be really mindful of not putting on too much muscle. You might have another kid that's 65 kilo at that same age and he needs a totally different set of training guidelines to try to have him at his best. So I think it's just it's a case of being flexible enough to make sure that each of these riders are getting their individual needs covered. Yeah, that's a really cool insight there, mate. Obviously, that tailored approach is so key. Like you said, one size doesn't fit all. And I guess someone like yourself is always sort of just trying to guide the youngsters on the best approaches and what's worked for you. And with all your experience, it must be pretty vital to them because obviously there's so many ingredients that goes into making a champion, you know, the talent, the hard work, the capacity to combat adversary. There's so many factors and obviously the fitness. But I guess, do you have the advice to your youngsters? You've got to keep it fun as well because that sort of keeps that desire really strong because you've got to really watch out for burnout at that age and especially with all the pressure the kids are under that they place on themselves and then from their parents. And, you know, there's a lot of that going on too, mate. So would that be sort of a key bit of advice to keep things fun too 
Yeah, absolutely, to keep things fun. But once again, I can't overemphasise um, the need to be uh, fluid with changing your tactics depending on the athlete that you've got because they're all different. And, I, I mean, in my early years of running the team, I, I remember I'd just get in there and I'd be like, okay, guys, this is really exciting because all you need to do is this, this and this. If you tick these three boxes or whatever it may be, you know, let's go. We're ready to go win this state championship or whatever. And then things would go a little pear-shaped and I'd be kind of scratching my head going, well, but hang on, we we ticked these boxes. How can this possibly have, have gone pear-shaped? So I had to come to the realisation that, you know, it wasn't just as simple as, as ticking these boxes and it was going to work. There's so many external factors and dealing with, uh, you know, I guess the sports psychology side of things and how families and kids deal with the pressure of, okay, well, I'm in a position here now where I could potentially do okay and get a podium or maybe even win. And then it escalates to the point of where I'm in a position now where I'm expected to win because I'm the best. I've won the first three rounds. There's two more rounds to go. And then that weight of expectation does certain things to certain riders. Um, other riders will kind of puff their chest out a little bit and their self-belief, they'll kind of get a little bit on the cocky side, but their self-belief, uh, you know, is intoxicating. It's you, you sort of, you jump on board with it and you're like, right, let's go. And they, they grab the ball and run with it. Then you get other people where you, you kind of look at them and the self-doubt starts to come in and you're just like, why are you doubting yourself? Can't, can't you see you're unstoppable at the moment your lap times are you know no one's even close to your level and yet you're you're letting uh this adversely affect you know the way you think about yourself and then all of a sudden the world crumbles around them and you're kind of along for the ride you you can't all you can really do is tell them what you believe is the best way to try to help them get through those scenarios and then quite often especially with a junior team situation they've got parents in there that you might not agree with how the parents are trying to uh, deal with those situations and trying to get the best out of their kids so um, I tell you what uh, with the amount of families that have been through our system since 2015 I could I could write a book on <laughs> on, uh, on on junior parents and oh but not not necessarily in a bad way I've had you know like the Bud family, Reese Bud, one of our, our best riders in Australia, his parents and his dad is still to this day one of one of my close mates. Um, you know, I've had had some of the best families through our system that you could possibly imagine. But um, you know, it, you get all walks of life, and and uh, it, it's been a learning experience. I can tell you. Oh, mate, so many different dynamics you would have dealt with for sure, mate. Definitely would have been challenging, but yeah, you just kind of got to get through it and manage it the best way possible. And I guess confidence. With any riders, so important, mate. I was speaking to Brian Jorgensen, who does a lot of work with the Yamaha Blue Crew in Europe and trains professional riders like Bobby Bruce. And he was saying when he was a racer in the GPs, he would get his confidence from doing the work in the training because he used to just love it. And that was sort of what he was on the gate, knowing that he'd done the work. And he got the confidence from that. And obviously other riders get confidence from results, like you were saying, and the world crumbles when they aren't getting the results. So how is it for you, I guess, in terms of confidence? Were you more of a got it from the work or got it from the results or a bit of both? Um, I've... Yeah, I hate to get too much into this into my uh, into, into my days of <laughs> racing because, um, yeah, look, I I, I kind of wish that I had done certain things a little different. I was definitely um, I was an interesting rider to the point of where um, if I 
went and did the work and trained the way that I should and did everything that I knew I was supposed to be doing, then most weekends I'd go out and I'd have a win and I'd get on a, a bit of a run of, uh, a, you know, I'd win three supercrosses in a row or whatever it may be. And then I'd probably, uh, you know, end up not doing the training that I should have or, 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 or go out partying a bit too much or whatever it may be. And, 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 uh, and then my results would suffer, but I kind of always knew that all, all I needed to do was to, to do what I was supposed to be doing midweek and I'd, I'd end up having good results. Um, so that's kind of frustrating for me to, you know, look back on, on my, on my career and know that, you know, I had some, I had some good results, but if I just had been a little bit more disciplined, uh, you know, that, you know, could have, could have quite possibly had had a, a little bit more of a successful career, shall we say, that might have ended up overseas and whatever it may be. But I look back on that and I kind of, whatever I did got me to to where I am at the moment. It might have might not have been, you know, a, a career that, that compares to, you know, to some of our best that we've had in Australia. But uh, when I when I look at um, where I'm at now, which is with, with my wife and, and, and my three kids and my family, if I did anything different, then I might I might not find myself right where I am at the moment, which is absolutely loving my my job, my life, um, and my family just mean everything. The moment you have kids, uh, you, from the moment you wake up in the morning, it gives you a different meaning for everything you do. You know, you're not you're not going to earn money to go spend money on yourself. You're going to, you're doing it for your family. So, so yeah. Look, um, while I, while I look back over over the career and a few things I would have changed. Uh, I'm happy with the decisions that I've made since I retired from racing. And, um, and yeah, so that's a, a little bit of an insight into how I was as a rider. Um, I knew if I put the, if I put the work in and that I would get the results, but just sometimes I didn't quite uh, put, put the amount of work in that was needed. Oh, mate, well said. It's all sort of learning and growing and experiences that you gain along the way, mate. So it's pretty cool. And obviously with MX Vice, we have so many listeners from the USA, UK, all over Europe. Maybe just give like a little bit of a rundown into, you know, how you got started into motocross and for people that aren't familiar with your story, you know, because you've sort of been seen and done it all. You've raced in Europe, raced in America, done great things in Australia, three times at the Motocross of Nations for Australia. So a lot of milestones, a lot of great achievements still in there, mate. So just give us a quick rundown for the fans that mightn't be familiar with what you've achieved in the sport. Um, yeah, look, I, I had a, a reasonably good junior motocross career. I ended up um, winning seven Aussie junior titles uh, around the uh, around the countryside, and um, turned senior. And uh, and yeah, I, th- I think from there, I was uh, I was an interesting uh, case where the moment that I turned sixteen, I was already eighty two kilo you wouldn't like i think the height that i am and the weight that i am at the moment is basically what i was as a 15 year old so i don't know why that happened but uh uh but either way back then we had one two fives if you're uh you know and you're in juniors and you turn seniors uh i did not want to see a one two five ever again for the rest of my life so uh, my dad had me on a, a 500 cc two stroke for the last six months as a junior so i was practicing the moment i turned senior like two weeks after I was 16, I raced the the senior national championships in South Australia on a 252 stroke and a 500. I think I got fourth in the 500 Aussie title. So I was um, I was a, a big kid and, and always on the big ball bike. So just coming through a stage, you know, to be able to appreciate, I had um, a lot of fun and a lot of history on the 500. I got to race the motocross the nations in 94 and a 500 and won the 
the Aussie 500 title that year. So I, I see it as a real honour and a privilege to have raced through that period of time where we were on the big 500s um, a, a lot of the time. Uh, but 252 stroke was my my main thing. And um, yeah, a, a little bit thin on as far as national championships go uh, in seniors, but um, I was I was happy to get Craig Duck's first ever uh, championship for him at CDR Yamaha in 1993 when he just retired from racing in 92. And while he was still racing and he knew he was about to retire, we were still ra- racing each other that following weekend at the last round of the Nationals. And he called me and told me, look, look, Lee, I'm, I'm retiring at the end of this year. I'm taking on board, you know, team manager's role for, for CDR Yamaha. And he offered me the number one ride while he was still a racer and we were still racing each other. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And to go out that year, uh, it was Peter Jackson Yamaha um, in 93. And uh, we won that, the outdoor title for him that year and got his first ever championship as a team manager, which was quite cool. Oh, mate, so cool. So many cool things you've obviously achieved. You got any sort of particular standout memories, you know, from Australia, from motocross the nations and racing overseas? Is there some ones that particularly stand out, whether they're good or bad? Um, oh, there's a couple of things from motocross of nations. Uh, I got to 93. I got to race the motocross of nations in Austria on the factory Chesterfield Yamaha, which was Donnie Schmidt's um, race bike at the time, which had, oh, it had a, factory gearbox with a, a semi-automatic gearbox that had like the solenoid like what we see in road racing and this is technology back in 1993 you know so uh, we're only just starting to see that sort of come into the into the sport now so that was really quite cool to get to you know Don, donnie's obviously passed away rest in peace uh, but but yeah to get to ride his factory bike over there and travel around that was that was really cool. Um, the motocross of nations that comes to mind though was in the UK at, at Fox Hills, um, and that was 1998. And it didn't stop raining the whole week leading up to it. And when I say that, I mean there was not one minute where rain wasn't falling from the sky for seven days prior. So, you know, I guess policy of motocross of nations they don't cancel the events, and we just went out and rode. And it goes down in history as the wettest ever. Motocross of Nations, and uh, I was on a big KTM factory 360 or 380. I forget. It was one of those two, and uh, and uh, I remember one of the races. It was just it was so wet, and I hole shot, and I thought, yeah, this is cool. And I just locked up the brakes and went straight ahead and couldn't stop in the first turn. <laughs> so the the rest of the race was uh, was interesting to say the least. But I do I do remember you know middle of the race it got it got that wet and that rutty that essentially once you found yourself in a rut, you almost couldn't get out of it for a whole lap. So, for example, if you are at the top of a hill and you're on the inside of this rut and uh, you come out of that corner and that rut would go all the way, roll over the next jump, all the way down the hill, which meant that you're on the outside of the next corner. And uh, near the end of the race, pretty much everyone had thrown their goggles off and I remember I was coming down the hill and I got splattered by a rider in front of me. And anyone that's ever got any mud in their eye before would know that when you get a bit of mud in your eye and you blink, it's kind of like windscreen wipers. And the more you blink, the mud starts to go. And you've got to blink about 10 times before you can see again. And I got splashed in the left eye. And then I'd blinked about three times. I got splashed in the right eye. 
And I started blinking with both. I just couldn't see anything. And the next thing I was laying down in one of the ruts. So so the uh, the windscreen wiper eye blinks weren't working quite fast enough. But the funniest story of that event, uh, anyone that's ever seen this on TV, and I'm sure there's a few out there that might have even been there. I know Ricky Carmichael was on a pro circuit Kawasaki 125 at this event. And the, the final race of the day, they dropped the gate. And... Uh, at the end of the second downhill, coming out of there, Stefan Evitz was leading and he made it up the hill, but every single person, like 39 others or whatever it may be, uh, didn't make it up the hill. They got bogged and Ricky was one of them. His cowie was on the side and you can picture 39 bikes stuck on this uphill and the smoke that was coming from it. And Stefan Evitz just circulated around, finished that lap. And he got to the top of the hill and stopped and took his goggles off. And he was just looking at these, uh, he was looking at all these bikes here and the crowd were, were going crazy. I was one of the spectators because I'd already done my two races. And um, all, all these, you know, fake chainsaws and everything, just the most amount of noise and cheers you've ever heard. And uh, he turns his bike off and he's just sitting there just looking at the hill and then he puts his goggles back on again, starts his bike up, just cruises down the hill, turns off the berm and then just flat out and just makes his way up the hill, starts on the right side, wheel taps over someone's bike and then heads across to the left and made it all the way up and over and was literally the only person circulating. And so um, at the end of that lap, it, the crowd was just insane and going crazy and they had to, uh, they called the race off, they stopped it and because Stefan was the only one that was circulating. So... You know, that's something I'll always have visions of that in my head and remember, first of all, thank God I actually made it through the week because what a nightmare it was. Second of all, that was pretty cool to see Stefan do that. Oh, that's so cool. That's an awesome story. And obviously they have that vets mode across the nations at Fox Hills. Mate, any plans to get back or are you permanently scarred for that one? <laughs> no, look, I mean, and I always say there wouldn't be a week that goes by where I don't get asked to go do a race somewhere or go do the vets world championships or whatever. And um, I, I always say I actually meant it when I retired at the end of 2003 and I, I literally haven't lined up on a starting gate since. So uh, I think I've reached the, the point of, you know, not, not wanting to go line up on a starting <laughs> gate. And, and then I also think that I'm probably a little bit, um, I think if, if I decided that I was going to go and do a race that I'd probably spend four months training and preparing for it. And I'd, I'd uh, not put enough time into the family or the business yeah. or whatever it may be. I'd just be all consuming and then I'd probably injure myself about three days out and not be able to do it anyway. So <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's smarter and safer for me to keep away from the Stargates. Yep. Uh, did uh, Chad Reed, did he try and sort of get you over to that Bali Castle vets that the boss at AMX Vice James was at this year, Reed Nemig. He said there was some like, I think it was a cab driver that was beating them and the competitive juices certainly came out with those guys. They weren't having it and had some massive stacks. So has he tried to tempt you over to that one too? <laughs> nah, Chad hasn't, uh, <laughs> hasn't done that. I know there's a lot of banter between, you know, Ricky and Chad and, you know, Abby, all, all the, all the crew, but there's a lot of banter that goes on, but no, I, I tend to not uh, cop too much peer group <laughs> pressure from the boys to come back and do a race. <laughs> and what about the motocross the nations next year obviously back in the uk mate do you plan on going obviously this year it was on the same weekend as adelaide supercross in france that looked like a massive weekend the boss said it was absolutely nuts there so if the schedule lines up would you like to get to that one as a fan 
mate, look, to be honest, at that time of the year with what I've got going on with my other commitments, it always makes it really hard. I, you know, I tend to be up in the early hours of the morning and watch, you know, every lap of every race, including the qualifying the day before and and especially this year you know what a journey it was it was so cool to watch but you know for me um at some stage you know i'd love to play some kind of a a a role uh you know in the in the team i mean we've got superstars like michael byrne in there and then over the years we've had your gary bands your your stephen galls etc um, you know, but for the moment, any particular role that I could potentially even want to put my hand up for is, is currently, you know, um, well and truly handled by someone, yeah. you know, with with uh, with more experience and, uh, you know, and plenty of skill to be able to do that job properly. So, you know, for me, while I don't really have the, the time at that time of the year to be doing it and while we're in such good hands with the current uh, current crew looking after it i don't really see any need for me to be over there on on hand to to do it as much as i'd love to be there and you know it doesn't matter if you if you're talking going to the motocross of nations or you're going to uh you know redbud or somewhere like that to go and experience you know for me san diego supercrosses i i reckon i did it probably six years in a row for a period of time there uh, you know, the likes of Redbud and the Motocross of Nations, they're events that you need to experience at least once if you want to know what goosebumps are all about. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think at the moment, kind of got my hands tied with so much stuff going on. If I'm going to continue to to do the the junior race team as well as the coaching and the and the hosting side of things back here, as well as, you know, have a family that I get to see every now and then, I, I kind of can't really sort of take on any more than what we're doing. Nah, well said, mate. You certainly got enough on your plate to keep you going for definitely more than the probably what the year has, mate. So now you do a great job with it all. And a couple more before we let you go, mate, because the time's flying by on this one. But just obviously the state of playing Aussie motocross for you at the moment, from your perspective, obviously you've seen it all, obviously from way back, Mr. Motocross days to now, all this kind of stuff. Just any sort of comparisons. Obviously, there's things that a lot of riders and industry people would like is probably more rounds, both in motocross and supercross. What would be like a good balance for you? Obviously, maybe 10 and 10 or eight outdoors and 10 supercross. It's obviously the guys in charge do a great job and it's a logistical nightmare organizing all this stuff. And, you know, behind the scenes, you know, you can't really judge because of the amount of stuff they got to go through is just sort of absolutely crazy mate so just some of the sort of things that you'd like to maybe see implemented you know maybe do some double header weekends qualifying races three moto weekends like the adac in germany just to get more point scoring motos into maybe make those long trips a bit more worth it for the privateers this kind of thing mate so any of your thoughts there yeah a 10 and 10 for me ideally i think is is our dream run 10 rounds of supercross 10 rounds of motocross uh with enough time in the year to be able to have that change over i remember back in the 90s when we were pretty hectic and doing a lot of racing i remember we would we would go from the east coast and we'd fly across to wa we'd race manjum up fifteen thousand. the next weekend we would race uh the coastal round of the australian motocross championships then we'd hop on a plane and four days later we'd be doing press day for adelaide indoor supercross And then we'd race that, you know, two days later. So, you know, for us, and I remember the conversation I'd have with with Craig Dack, uh, uh, you know, when I was racing for him and we'd turn up on press day for Adelaide Supercross and I'd come back in and I'd go, Dacker, I need to go up one tooth on the back sprocket. It needs a bit more bottom end. It's not pulling out of the corners. And he's like, 
Pogues, you're running the same gearing that you've ran in the first five rounds of Supercross. Try a little bit more corner speed and and she'll pull nicely for you. I'm like, yeah, thanks, Dacker. And sure enough, I, I go out a bit more, bit more momentum through the corner, and my gearing would work fine. But that, you know, that was that was life back then with coming off the back of deep sand motocross, and then four days later, we're on a foreign bike that had Supercross suspension and. And gearing, and we're in the, almost like the tightest confines of like a BMX track kind of thing. So, I think that separation between the two, where riders can can kind of be, you know, all in for Supercross or all in for motocross with a little bit of time in between to prepare, I think can be good for minimising injuries because you're trying to do too much at one time. Also, making resources a little bit easier for the race teams where. They don't have 18 bikes out at the same time with practice bikes and race bikes for motocross and supercross, etc. Um, but yeah, an ideal world for me, I think, if the sport is at its strongest and there's, you know, enough funds in it, you know, where it, you know, if we're dealing with a good time of the sport where funds are flowing freely and and people are willing to spend money, uh, and it's not going to send the sport backwards, then I think 10 and 10 is the ideal number. But I think you know, uh, in the foreseeable future that eight and eight would be good to start with. Uh, and, and with that could certainly be, you know, a couple of double headers, whether that be Supercross or it be outdoors. I think we've already seen that the double header works good outdoors. Um, so I can't see why it can't. I think from a spectator point of view, I remember back with Melbourne Supercross in the 90s where we used to fill up Melbourne Indoor Tennis Centre Friday night saturday night and then we'd half fill sunday lunchtime for a for a matinee supercross you know like those kind of numbers um i think we'd need to make sure that we have enough uh enough interest and numbers in the sport to be able to support that kind of crowd for a double header for supercross yeah that's a really good point you're making so basically you'd probably be more of the mind to condense the motocross series and have the gap more between motocross and supercross because obviously a lot of riders have a few issues navigating say that seven week gap between round six and seven this year wasn't it so that's another thing that they're probably looking to address and like you said that testing time in the two disciplines is so important to just get everything in the right direction and to make guys feel comfortable when they're ready for it isn't it yeah absolutely and then it's also a fine balance whether it's supercross or motocross as to you know, when, when we bring in the Western Australian or the Tasmanian or the Northern Territory, whether we head up to Darwin, like last year we had Darwin Aussie Junior titles, um, you know, we've got, it's over in WA next year. So these events, when we go to WA or we go to Northern Territory or to Tassie or even far North Queensland where we went, you know, earlier on this year for Pro-MX, um, they become, you know, hugely expensive. Not Not so much for us when we just hop on a, on a plane and it's paid for and we go do some commentary and head away but you've got to think of you know those even the big factory race teams you know for them to to get in the truck i know a lot of it's funded for those guys with their sponsors but especially the privateers that have to figure out a way to get around the countryside to do that that's something that needs to be factored in as well but we can't expect these regions to to never get any national events so Mm. it's a bit of a delicate balancing act there that's for sure yeah, mate, absolutely. Obviously, being you know WA connection with you would be great to get some more races over there. And there's so many great riders that come from over there. You know, Duffy, Aminia, Webster, all these guys, mate. So, and the fans would definitely turn out for that one, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And then you know you got to look at yeah, it's 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 tough for the rest of the country to make their way all the way over to WA. But you got to think for those WA guys that 
you know, I go back to our family, Seth, Seth and his family, the Shackletons, uh, they base themselves in WS every single time. They're either, you know, we're just planning our team photo shoot at the moment. I've got two of my three junior team riders are from WA. So we're all looking at resources to trying to get bikes and riders and are we freighting bikes or is, is Shaq's going to hop in a van and drive over with yeah. a couple of bikes or, you know, um, so uh, the the logistics side of things is is real when you when you're talking WA, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And just you know, one more let give you a chance to sort of you know thank anyone you'd like to thank the sponsors, obviously your family, your partners with the racing team, and where can people follow you and sort of keep track of all you're doing with your team and your personal endeavors on the motocross media side. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously my family is my um, you know they're my rock and and. Uh, yeah, it's where you come home to every night and when things are good, you celebrate with them. When things are tough, you you dig in and, and, and grind away and they're the ones that are by your side, you know. So fam- family are everything and, um, you know, obviously, uh, obviously, you know, my, I've got a, a bunch of really, really important sponsors, but my key ones, you know, would be Honda, Fox, Michelin uh, that have been with me for, oh, God, Honda, I've been 18 years, Fox, I've been 23 years and I was going to give them a, a bit of a mention before for you know but i'm just so appreciative that they get in and behind the the fox australian supercross championship you know for the second year in a row being naming rights there um you know and, and michelin tires been with them for a long time so you know super appreciative of those those sponsors that year in year out you know we've done another two-year deal uh with them with all of them just recently uh which is so good you don't have to get to the end of next year and just go oh hey are we going again guys you know so um, life would be would be very difficult without those those supporters and sponsors. Um, super appreciative from you know from the Oz Supercross side of things for for Kelly and of course Adam, uh, you know, and getting to work with the likes of Nathan Prendergast with Ignite Productions and you know even uh, from our Pro MX side of things, getting to work with Maddie Schwab and and their uh, production crew there, which do just such an incredible professional job. So uh, you know, blessed with blessed with the job that I get to do um you know I know a lot of the time it looks like I I sort of don't do too much uh it looks like I you know get to do a few fun things hop on a mountain bike you know maybe uh put put a graphics kit on my bike or whatever it may be and and uh, and cop a bit of grief for doing no work but <laughs> I, I think you're, you're always sort of um you know treading away trying to do as much as you can and and trying to make sure that uh, you're not dropping the ball on on anything so um for me like i said i um i wouldn't want to do anything else other than what i'm doing i got the best job in the world and i get to hang out with some of the coolest people and you know coming out the back end of Mel- melbourne supercross i kind of got to pinch myself i got back home um I, I got to get my boy noah i got him a little triple a pass so we got to, he got to come down onto the floor when hammy and i did a our big wrap up to the crowd and he was standing right there he's never sort of I've never had him, you know, that close to me doing anything sort of media before, so that was pretty cool to have that there. And we uh, we hopped in the in the car and and straight after that and and cruised on home, hopped into McDonald's, had a burger, and just sort of I was just sitting there just reflecting on how lucky I am to be able to, you know, this is like twelve thirty at night kind of thing after midnight, and we're we're at our local McDonald's and you know having having a burger and just sort of reflecting on uh, what a fun what a fun night it was so uh but you can't i guess you can't sort of uh you can't sort of reflect on that too long before you got to get back and and figure out what's up next you know what do we got uh what do we got going on so 
yeah, it's been a it's been a good ride. Twenty twenty three's been good, and I, I'm I'm lucky for me that nothing's changing going into twenty four. Everything remains exactly the same. The team, um, you know, the the riding schools, my squad that I've had on, other than a a slight little change with the junior team because two of my riders have aged out and turned senior. Um, you know, both Darcy and Hickson. Uh, move on into into the senior ranks and we welcome two new riders but other than that everything's identical for me uh, going into 24 which I'm super excited about and can't wait to uh, hear the remaining dates for Pro MX and then obviously whenever any announcements come out for Supercross and that whole season starts to take shape and you're near the end of the year you go buy that or I don't know if you guys do but I buy that big whiteboard thing I think it's a Sasco or whatever that thing's <laughs> called and um, I, I literally between between my wife fighting me for the for the um, white marker the whiteboard <laughs> marker and trying to map out stuff that I literally can't get out of that this is what we have you locked in for and then I've got a different color one and trying to lock in all the stuff that I got to do um yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing dates as they come out, so we can start to uh, start to map out the, uh, the 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 yearly planner. No, oh, mate, it's exciting times ahead, and yeah, keep up your great work with everything, mate. You're killing it, and yeah, really appreciate you taking the time to you know jump on this one. We can probably keep going for a lot longer. We'll definitely have to do a part two as well, mate. But before we let you go, we'll thank the sponsors for the second section of this show and AS3 Performance Parts, the home of aftermarket motocross enduro parts from hardware and protection parts, including skid plates and radiator braces to performance cooling parts, including silicon radiator hoses and oversized impeller kits. AS3 also have a huge range of brake, clutch and gear levers, all with different features and adjustability. Check them out at line at as3performance.uk. All right, Lee, cheers again, mate. Thanks for taking the time, being a ripper chat. And yeah, we'll definitely look forward to getting you back on next time. Thanks so much for having me and keep up the good work, lads. It's so good having you guys around doing your thing and, you know, promoting our sport and front and centre at the Supercross recently. So uh, keep up the good work, lads. No worries, mate. Cheers, will do. And yeah, look forward to chatting soon.